0: Welcome to Things in Jars, a podcast about oddities, curiosities, and all the weird and wonderful stuff that dwells in museum stores.
1: I'm Melissa, and I'm Poppy, and we're both curators, here to take you behind the scenes of the museum with us as we explore cool artefacts and answer your questions about what it's really like to work in a museum.
0: Welcome to another episode of Things in Jars and today we are very excited to bring you the fourth special episode in our birthday month of celebrations and we have been looking forward to this episode for quite some time because we have a real treat in store for not just everyone listening but also ourselves because we, for this episode, put out a request to the museums of the world to send us their own recordings about their own special, strange and unusual objects. And the museums of the world have delivered. And we are gonna be sharing those recordings with you today. Poppy, would you like
1: to introduce introduce the people, the things? I would. So firstly, thank you so much to everyone who expressed an interest and especially those who sent us the goods. This is the first episode we've ever published where we actually have no idea what's coming. Not we haven't clue. listened to them. This is completely blind. We will be experiencing these delightful items along with all of you for the very first time.
0: So let's
1: let's do this. Let's
0: let's get to this. I'm excited.
1: So we will be hearing from Sarah Halpert from the International Printing Museum in Carson, California.
2: Woo.
1: We'll be hearing from Abigail Paget from the Kirkley's Museums Service. Woo. And we will be hearing from Courtney McNamara from the DNH Canal Historical Society Museum in New York. Woo. So a real treat, real yeah. mix, lots of potential for some really interesting, unusual items. We're very excited. And yeah, just a massive thank you to our birthday party guests for gracing the show with their voices. Let's start the party now. First up, we have Sarah Halpert from the International Printing Museum in Carson, California.
2: Hi, Sarah Culling from the International Printing Museum in Carson, California, we have one of the largest collections of printing presses um, in the world, a large, large amount. Some of them are much older, but uh, my favorite discovery working here as the manager uh, was we got a press in. It's called an Adana Press, and uh, it's your basic like amateur press. It was produced in England, and it's about from the 1950s, so not too old. We had gotten it from a convent in British Columbia, in Duncan, British Columbia. Uh, I guess the nuns had been using it for a few decades in some kind of print shop they had there, and I posted a photo of it on our social media, and someone requested uh, what the serial number was, so I went to look for the serial number, and when I found it, Turns out it was 666, six, 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 which was uh, quite the fun coincidence. I don't know what those nuns were up to, but it certainly wasn't anything innocent. Love the show. Bye. Wow. <laughs> that was so
0: good. <laughs> those what coincidence. nuns. What were they doing?
1: Hmm. What were they doing?
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the kind of museum I would like to visit. A printing press museum sounds right up our street.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet there's a
0: whole load of stories buried deep in there. Was it a coincidence that the number was 666? oh was that? I mean, I guess it's a coincidence. coincidence. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sending that through. That was a very strong start to the birthday party. Really enjoyed that. It could have been an item spotlight of the week for us, couldn't it? Like yeah. that would have been something we would have seized upon had we found that ourselves. Yeah.
1: Sarah 100% understood the assignment. So, <laughs> thank thank you, you, Sarah. Very much. <laughs> OK. On to something very different from a museum service up in Yorkshire in the UK. We're going to be hearing from Abigail.
3: Hi, thank you to Melissa and Poppy for inviting me to share some of the items and stories of the amazing collections I work with. My name is Abigail Padgett and I'm the Assistant Curator at Kirklees Council in West Yorkshire. I work with a collection covering a wide variety of subjects from social history to natural science and we have two museums, an art gallery and one historic house to look after so we're quite busy and as you can imagine it's been so difficult to pick just a few items from the collection or in fact just spend 10 minutes telling you about these items but I'll do my best The items I've chosen are all located in the Our Fight for the Voting Rights Gallery which is at Tulsa Museum and I think many of you might be able to guess what that theme is but it was a gallery developed for the centenary of the 1918 representation of the People's Act when women over 30 who owned property were given the right to vote in parliamentary elections. We're so lucky to have a women's suffrage collection with items ranging from Huddersfield's iconic banner made by Florence Lockwood, to armbands, historic newspapers and even postcards. This leads me on to the first item I want to share with you today, and this is a photograph of four women outside a newsagent in Batley in around November 1907. The woman on the right is holding up copies of a newspaper called Votes for Women and we can tell from the design that's one of the very first editions giving us a really good idea of the date of this photograph. As was common at the time, um, the image is actually printed with a back that's a postcard um, but it wasn't published as a commercial postcard and we actually think they may have only been around five, maybe ten printed so we are so lucky to have one in the collection. Uh, We do actually believe that the photo was taken around the time of the Batley Junior Liberal Association. Uh, meeting that was disrupted by two of the women in this image. They are Adela Pankhurst and Mary Lee. They'd been swiftly thrown out of the meeting and they were, I quote, "...subjected to a great deal of banter outside." And I think we'd possibly use a different term to banter if this happened now, probably more heckling or even worse. But these were women who were members of the Women's Social and Political Union or WSPU Um, and it was a women's only organisation that was created in Manchester in 1903 and it fought for women's suffrage and it also promoted gender solidarity. The women in our photo were all uh, members of the WSPU and they each have really really amazing stories so starting with gertrude ellen brooke who is on the far left of this image and she was from Holmfirth and on the 21st of march 1907 she travelled down to london to protest with 75 other members of the wspu she was actually arrested and was sentenced to 14 days in holloway prison she again travelled down to london on the 12th of february 1908 and was arrested and charged with insulting behaviour and obstructing the police in execution of their duty. And this time she was actually sentenced to six weeks again in Holloway Prison. I think these women travelling down to London, protesting, knowing that uh, arrest and imprisonment was possible, if not even probable, but they believed that this was worth it... And Edith Key, who was the secretary of the Huddersfield WSPU branch, actually wrote to Gertrude soon after this and expressed the members' appreciation for her actions. Next to Gertrude, we have Adela Pankhurst and she's sometimes referred to as the Forgotten Pankhurst Sister. She was born in Manchester in 1885 and she was the youngest daughter of Emmeline Pankhurst and she was quite a prominent suffragette. So as well as having the task of drumming up support for the cause in Lancashire and Yorkshire, Adela would also disturb meetings held by Winston Churchill in Scotland. Now another member of the WSPU called Hannah Mitchell was actually with Adela when she was arrested for disrupting one of Churchill's political meetings. Now Hannah later recalled, I followed Adela, who was in the grip of a big, Burly officer, who kept telling her she ought to be smacked and sent to the wash tubs, she grew so angry that she slapped his hand, which was as big as a ham. Now Adela was found guilty of assaulting the policeman and was actually sent to Strangeways prison for seven days. In 1909 she was actually arrested for throwing stones at a hall where Winston Churchill was about to speak and whilst in prison she went on hunger strike but she was actually deemed unfit for force feeding and was released from prison. Adela was a brilliant public speaker, she regularly addressed large crowds across the region and women really rallied behind the cause as she spoke of these greater opportunities and freedoms that voting would bring. Now WSPU branches were actually established locally in Dewsbury, Batley and most successfully in Huddersfield. Next in this formidable lineup of women is Mary Winifred Patricia Woodlock or Patricia, as she actually liked to be known. She was a founding member of the Liverpool branch of the WSPU, and she became an organiser there. She was also arrested on numerous occasions, most often for taking part in missions to the House of Commons or disturbing uh, politicians' meetings. And lastly, we have Mary Lee on the far right. She was one of Uh, The first two women to actually be arrested for window smashing in the name of the WSPU. I think we're so lucky to have this brilliant photograph of such important figures campaigning in our area. And I think it really brings these local newspaper articles and stories um, to life. And I think they're really, really great. Now the second item I want to tell you about is also a postcard and it's featured in the same exhibition but is a contrast to the previous one in many ways. So this postcard was not one produced by the suffragette movement but it was by a local company called Bamforth and they were from Holmfirth. Now Bamforth first started in Holmfirth in 1870 But started to produce postcards in 1903. As well as some other ventures and they even produced some short films. They're probably best known for producing saucy seaside postcards and other comic scenes. So at Kirklees we do actually hold a huge collection of Bamforth items. Some of which relate to the women's suffrage movement. The main aim of Bamforth was actually a commercial business. so. It was to capitalise on what was popular, what was being spoken about at the time, and this would increase sales. So producing postcards about women's suffrage just shows how big an issue this was at the time. The postcard I specifically want to talk about actually depicts a scene of a middle class family home featuring a husband and wife. It shows the wife standing over a kneeling husband who's cleaning a fireplace And the caption reads, My wife's joined the suffrage movement. And then in brackets, I've suffered ever since. And I think even though it's quite easy to smile at this, and it comes across quite light-hearted, it's actually playing on the fear that traditional gender roles were being swapped And in this scene, the wife is a dominant, the husband is subservient, and it was a genuine fear of some men that women would suddenly have this new confidence to be loud, domineering, telling men what they should and shouldn't be doing. Whereas some thought that women uh, should stick to particular roles, such as mothers and caregivers, away from politics. And It was kind of an issue at the time because women's work in the local textile industry was also being hotly debated in this area. Um, Some feared that women were forcing men out of jobs, and it's because women's wages were lower than the men's wages. So, this postcard was produced actually between the years of 1905 and 1910, so right in the same time period as the first photo was taken. Interestingly, our suffragette, the first one I spoke about, Gertrude Brooke, was from Holmferth, where this postcard was produced. Now, it is possible that the Banforth artist took inspiration from Gertrude, or perhaps it was because there was a lot of common talk around the suffrage movement in Holmferth, maybe related to her. And it was known that quotes for postcards were taken from conversations in the local area. We're constantly finding new information about women's suffrage in this area and have so many more local women who have stories yet to be investigated. We're really looking forward to the next big celebration in 2028, which is the centenary of the Equal Franchise Act, where women of 21 were able to vote and they were finally given the same voting rights as men. Both these items that I've spoke about today are on display at Tulsa Museum in Huddersfield. So if you want to go and see them, you definitely can. And you can also see photos of them on Kirklees Museum social media and also things in Giles social media. We've also got a great resource with lots of information and uh, images and much, much more at Women's Suffrage in Kirklees com, and you can ask us any questions and also please do get in touch if you've got any information you'd like to share with us. Thank you. Wow, Abby, that was
0: so good. I could listen to Abby talking about that for hours. That was so good. And so beautifully presented. Yeah, yeah. That was so, so interesting. I feel like we've been, like, what's... You know when people say like a TED talk? You know when you feel like you've learned a lot of information
1: in a very short space of time? Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you on that. She really painted the characters of these different women. I hadn't heard of... I'd heard of Adela Pankhurst before. But other than that, I mean, Pankhurst is so prominent in the suffrage movement that sometimes it feels Mm. hard for other women to get a look in. And it's They were everywhere. This was such a big issue as Abby... Pointed out every region would have had women fighting for the cause, so it's so nice to hear from a local perspective mm. the big names the the kind of really significant figures that were driving the movement in different regional areas so and I'm looking at the photo now that Abby sent over of the four of them um they're a formidable <laughs> a formidable group, especially the one that's second in from the left. I can't remember which of the women she was, but she has a real, like, do not mess with me look about her. <laughs> Are you looking at it as well? Oh, yeah, look at them.
0: Oh <laughs> Wow, she is, yeah, she is done, isn't she?
1: Yeah, she is defo ready to smash the patriarchy. They look, yeah,
0: formidable. Formidable indeed, love that.
1: Formidable and very much on a mission. Yeah.
0: Oh, thank you, Abby, I love that. That was wonderful to listen to.
1: Our last party guest is Courtney from the Canal Museum in New York. I'm really intrigued by this because... What is coming? I, mean, I didn't even know New York had canals. <laughs> what <laughs> what, what, what is? is coming next? What, what, what stories what, are waiting? What
0: literally could this be about? I haven't a clue. Canals? Maybe? <laughs> is it a boat?
4: We shall see. Hi, Things in Jars podcast listeners. My name is Courtney, and I'm the curatorial assistant and video editor at the D&H Canal Museum in High Falls, New York. The D&H stands for Delaware and Hudson. The D&H Canal ran from Honesdale, Pennsylvania to Kingston, New York, where it then met the Hudson River and continued on its way to New York City. It ran from 1828 to 1898, and was 108 miles long and had 110 locks, and the barges carried primarily coal. The object I'm going to share with you today is, well, a thing in a jar. I have a jar of canal water from when the canal is operational. I've got a picture of it in front of me, and I'm going to describe it to you a little bit. It is a mason-type jar that's very well sealed. It almost looks like it's welded shut, but I'm not entirely sure when I looked at it in person. And there's some sort of fabric or paper underneath the lid to keep it very well sealed. And there is a very old and peeling off label on the front that says Delaware Hudson Canal 1898. So I'm assuming this sample must have been collected right when the canal closed in 1898. The jar is about a quarter of the way full with some very interesting yellow water. There's a lot of silt and debris and organic material at the bottom. I don't know where along the canal it was collected, so that part's a little bit of a mystery. I didn't even know we had it in our collection until a couple of weeks ago, so I guess I need to hang out with our collections a little bit more frequently. Once this episode goes live, I'm going to post a picture of this jar of canal water on our Instagram account, which you can check out at DH Canal Museum. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about our canal located in upstate New York in Pennsylvania. And thanks for listening. Whoa! I'm thinking a jar! I'm <laughs> thinking a jar. Oh, I love that.
0: Actual water. From when did she say? 1898.
1: 1898?
0: 1898? Goodness
1: yeah. me. Wow. That's really that is... cool, isn't it? That's so cool. Our mouths were agape as we were listening to that. We were looking at each other with unbridled joy.
0: It's because again, perfect item spotlight. Like that is that is
1: absolutely what we would choose. It's it's a perfect item spotlight and it's so couldn't be more relevant to what they do. I know. What a great thing to have collected at that time and have kept in the museum. Like what a cool thing to just have canal water from eighteen ninety eight. Amazing. Yeah, yellow is a surprising colour. I know, what would have made it yellow? I'm not sure. I mean, does it just kind of go yellow over time? Or why? I mean, our canals are very unmistakably brown, but maybe they weren't always brown. Maybe once they were yellow. (laughs) (laughs) Like (laughs) the yellow
0: brick road, but the canal version. (laughs) Exactly, the waterway version. You know what's going to sound really odd? What? Well, I know I know water is sort of eternal and is in a cycle, but to have a jar of water that's over 100 years old and it's just been in that jar, like it's that water is old and preserved in time. I just find that concept a little strange because it's not very often that you can... Well, I don't know of any other instances where water is just in a jar that old for all that time you
1: know I wonder what the preservation is like for that because you'd imagine I was just going to say it would evaporate yeah, yeah. how do yeah. you maintain your climate control must be spot on so yeah I know yeah it's yeah I can't, can't quite get my head around it it's very cool Courtney has the water ever been for conservation and if so What was entailed? I'm I'm very, very enjoying this kind of yeah, this side of collections care. Yeah. Very intrigued. Very intrigued. I'm really glad we decided to end the party with that because couldn't have got a more perfect final item. All three have been so different. I love that.
0: I know. That's the joy of it, though, isn't it? That's the joy of museums, and that's what we've celebrated all the way through things in jars this past year, just the absolute unexpected range of amazing things that can be uncovered.
1: Absolutely. Amazing. And the stories they tell, and the places they take us to 200 years down the line. I feel like I'm on the Hudson River, surveying the canals. (laughs) I feel like I'm fighting a good fight with the women of Kirklees and I find that I'm right there alongside the nuns as they are scandalously printing on their 666 printing press. It's been a journey.
0: It <laughs> sounds like a really good novel, not gonna lie.
1: It does, doesn't it? Thank you Abby, thank you Sarah, thank you Courtney for sharing your wonderful jars with us.
0: so that brings us to the end of this week's episode of things in jars thank you so much again to all of the wonderful contributors for this episode we really enjoyed hearing from you all and hope that everyone listening enjoyed hearing about those cool objects as well so we're not quite done with our birthday celebrations yet as poppy and i thought for next week's episode it would be really nice if we sat down did some reflecting had some thoughts about our journey and our podcast life so far and kind of just bring you all up to date with where we are and
1: how we've been and we've got some life stuff to talk about really because you might have noticed that our posting has been a little bit inconsistent the past couple of months since we've returned to work um we have some announcements to make about some changes that have been happening in our work lives
0: it's nothing bad anyway by the way everyone nothing bad
1: <laughs> nothing nothing bad but things things are different than they were when we first started the podcast we also thought it would be fun to do a little bit of a Q&A in with next week's episode so if you have any questions about anything really we just thought we'd open this up as a chance to get your questions in if you have any and we can address them in our life chat update episode
0: yeah we want to sit down and have a really good chat don't we we just want to talk <laughs> <laughs> Send us some questions. <laughs> we will bear
1: our souls. <laughs> we will. It's like that bit after the parties, like after all the guests have gone, and you're just left in like your yes. party clothes with the remains of the cake on the table, and me and Melissa both have a fork and we're just you know picking at the cake in the yeah it's the two dim AM. light yeah with the bread cups strewn all yeah. over and party poppers wasted on the carpet. <laughs>
0: Us. It's time for the the 2 a.m. deep and meaningful chat. That's what it's time for.
1: So join us. I mean, pull up a chair. Enter our inner circle.
0: Oh, I love this stage of the party. This is my favourite part. In the meantime, happy birthday to us and we will see you soon. I'm Melissa. And I'm Poppy. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see
1: you next week.